thing. Let me start off by just saying some man followed me home today. <gasps> what? <laughs> so I pull up into the driveway and there is a car. Where had you been? I dropped the kids off at school this morning. I need to investigate this. Okay, so you dropped the kids off at school, your normal routine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I was coming home and I turned into my driveway and this car behind me turns in behind me. Turns into and your they... driveway, which is a private drive. Yes. <gasps> and they were following me for, I don't know, a mile before that. So like from town? Yeah. So okay. they followed me from town. Mm -hmm. So th and, and I'm, and I'm being, I have to say that. Because it'll make sense, right? Mm -hmm. So he follows me from town. And I get home. I pull up. And normally I hit the button to open the garage door. Mm -hmm. And then. But he's behind me. And so I'm like. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to open the garage door. And right. I'm not going to get out of the car. Right. So I pull up to the closed garage door. And I park. And I'm like looking. And he pulls up behind me. <gasps> and then pulls he like backs up and then pulls next to me <gasps> and so i roll my window down and i've got my phone out like i'm i'm waiting i'm ready because yeah. i'll not one if i need to and i roll the window down and he rolls the window down and he goes okay he doesn't speak good english but he's like roof and i was like huh and he was like roof you left something on the like, hood of your car and i was like Oh, no. No. <laughs> You're like, like no. <laughs> no. No. Like, he wanted, like, he was pointing at my roof on my house. Oh, wow. And I was like, no. And he was like, oh, okay. And then he left. Which, you know, I got pictures of the car on his whole <gasps> way out. Oh, my and God. And I sent it to my husband and mom and dad. And right. I'm like, if I end up dead later... This is, this, okay, this is your car. Okay, I need you to tell me what car kind of car follows. is. What color? <laughs> oh my no. god! But it's I, I was I was literally okay. And the reason I say he followed me from town is because it's not like he was behind me and like saw me pull in and was like, oh, they're like their roof looks bad. Let me well, pull and in. it's not it necessarily a common road. That's no, not part of the main highway. Right, right. And our roof is fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. What color is the car? <laughs> it was a light blue. Light it was blue. a light blue. Um, I have pictures. And I'm not going to say the license plate, obviously. But it was light blue. Like, I'm looking it up. <clears throat> oh, my God. You, you, you almost just died. <laughs> I'm so glad uh, you're going to see your husband. Because... <laughs> So it was super weird. I don't know. How could you not be crazy freaked out? <laughs> what did your husband say? He he said shoot him. <laughs> yep. Of course he would say like, that. Like that's well, that's the option. Well, yeah. I say do it. <laughs> that's creepy though. Was he like a, like an older man or younger guy or? No, he, no, he was younger. <gasps> Oh my goodness. Yeah. I don't know. It freaked me out. And, and I'm what, sure what other language do you think he may speak? Spanish. <gasps> oh yeah. I mean, he did he wasn't he didn't speak um English very well. Well, you know like cuz like, you know, I work with like people from all over the place, but you can definitely tell the difference in like somebody that speaks like Chinese and somebody that speaks like Egyptian. Right. Which I have several people like that that I work with. That it's beautiful language. I don't understand what they're saying though. Oh, I wish. But they I laugh mean. when I talk to them. They're like, "You sound you. funny." I'm like, "So do you, babe. So do you." Oh well, that's the start of our episode tonight. So, so creepy. Welcome to Crime Shots. <laughs> I'm Bree. And I'm Nikki. <laughs> you remember how last week I did a really, really large episode? Mm-hmm. This one may be larger. Are you serious? So, I swear. 
I started doing this and it opened up Pandora's box. Um, well, let's hear it. I'm not even kidding. It's ridiculous. We are going to travel to Robertson County, Texas. Oh. Okay. So this is the story of Henry Marshall. Ooh. So Henry Marshall was born December 18th, 1909 in Robertson County to a life on the farm. He grew up on a farm. That's what he knew. That's home to him. He graduated valedictorian of his class of 1927 from Franklin High School. So Franklin is right outside of College Station where the Aggies are. Yeah, I was going to say, how are you going to explain where Franklin is? Franklin is, what, 45 minutes? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Let's like right outside of College Station. It's like one of the small towns around it. It's fine. Okay. It's all going to run together later on anyway. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so he was married to Sybil Lois Owens in 1918. And they had two children, Peggy Ann and Joseph Harvey. Okay. Okay. All right. After studying chemistry at the University of Texas, Henry became the only teacher at the Nesbitt Rural School. <laughs> Say that again? No. <laughs> <laughs> you said Nesbitt Rural. I can't say it. Huh. Nesbitt School. So, <laughs> I located Nesbitt on the map and... At the time, it was actually, like, just west of Bremont. And, yes, I'm saying that right. Don't anybody question it. Uh, Bremont. (laughs) Bremont. I don't know. Some people say Bremen. It's not Bremen. It's Bremont. I agree. It's Bremont. Okay. But it is not on the current map. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. TSHA Online says that the town was established... In late 1880s, in the eight in 1892, it had a cotton gin, a grist mill, a school teacher, a physician, and a post office. In the 1940s, Nesbitt had 75 residents, two stores, a church, and a school. Mm. But it is not on the map anymore. Okay, it's old school. So it's like kind of just run into one of the other towns, probably Bremont. Anyway, so there is a Nesbitt on the map in Texas now, but that's up by Longview. And that's not the Nesbitt we're talking about here. Make that clear. Not the same. Okay, so the school Henry taught at actually shut down in 1932 due to the Great Depression. Despite that, Henry found work at a cotton gin company in Franklin. So, in August of 1934, Henry began work as a clerk with the Agricultural Adjustment Administration in College Station, which... Like I said, it's just south of Franklin and home of the fight in Texas Aggies. Whoop. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's where all that happens. So the Agricultural Administration, Adjustment Administration, is part of the Agricultural Adjustment Act of 1933. So there was a law passed by President Roosevelt that offered farmers subsidies in exchange for limiting their production of certain crops. So, basically, farmers were being paid not to farm. Mm. Like, they were limiting certain types of crops. Okay. Basically, it was a way to lower the cost of supplying crops in order to raise the prices. hmm Yeah. Anyway, they thought that it would result in, like, a rise in the economy. So, in 1936, the U.S. Supreme Court declared AAA to be unconstitutional, but Congress reinstated many of the provisions in 1938, and portions of the legislation still exist today. So, uh, Henry excelled in his role and eventually moved up to a senior post within the agency. So, basically, what he did, what his job was was to investigate farmers and then ultimately his agency paid them not to produce certain crops to help increase the market 
So he's like, okay, don't produce cotton so that way we can overprice it because we have a shortage of it. Right. That kind of thing. In 1960, Henry was assigned to investigate Billy Sol Estes. Now, Billy was one of six children born on a farm near Clyde, Texas in 1925. Clyde's a small town just outside of Abilene. It has a population of like 4,000. Okay. When Billy got married in 1946, he and his wife moved to Pecos, which is about four hours west of Clyde. So, they moved away. In Texas, we don't read miles. We want to know how long it's going to take to get there. (laughs) I need to know, is it a two-hour drive? (laughs) I don't need to know how many miles it is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's how we tell gas, too. We're going (laughs) to run out of gas in an hour. Mm -hmm. Billy started... A company that provided irrigation pumps that used like cheapo natural gas. Farmers have been suffering because of the high irrigation costs, so and it used electricity. His pumps used gas. Okay. Um, he also sold anhydrous ammonia as a fertilizer. Okay. If you want to look that up, you can look that up. It's a fertilizer. Okay. (laughs) So, because of this, Billy became super wealthy, owning Billy Soul Enterprises. So, Henry was asked to look into Billy because some things were being brought to their attention about land and cotton farms in particular. So, over a two-year investigation, Henry discovered that Billy had purchased 3,200 acres of cotton allotments from 116 different farmers. Okay. So, on August 31st of 1960, Henry informed his superiors out of Washington and told them the agency needed to crack down on every case, especially allotment transfers. So he's warning them. He's like, some fishy stuff's going on. Y'all need to nip it in the butt. Mm -hmm. So Billy heard about all this and he sent his lawyer, John P. Dennison, to Robertson County. Couldn't really find a whole lot of background on this attorney. I did find his wife's obituary, but that's really about it. I've only seen him mentioned in this case. Anyway, Billy sent Dennison to Robertson County on January 17th, 1961 to meet with Henry. Henry basically told Dennison that he knew Billy was involved in some type of plan to buy up a bunch of allotments. Billy would own a small area of land. The farmers would work it and Billy would profit off of it. It was his way Mm -hmm. of trying to avoid the limitations on crops. Right. Henry told Dennison that he wouldn't get approved for those allotments. And if Billy kept up, the agency would prosecute him. Okay. Because what he was doing was illegal. Warning. Mm Mm-hmm. So after that meeting, for some unknown reason, Henry was offered a new position at headquarters. Out of nowhere? Yeah. In Washington, they're like, here's a promotion. And Henry was like, no thanks. I'm not stupid. (laughs) So Henry felt like Billy probably had friends in high places. And they were trying to have him removed from field office. And the promotion was like a bribe. Mm -hmm. I mean, keep in mind, Billy is a wealthy dude. So, it's highly likely he had friends in high places. Okay. So, about a week after Henry's meeting with the lawyer, a man by the name of A.B. Foster wrote a letter. So, A.B. Foster was the manager of Billy Soul Enterprises. Ah. Okay. So, Foster wrote a letter to Clifton C. Carter. Clifton Carter was a close friend and aide for President Johnson. Mm-hmm. He was also the executive director of the Democratic National Committee. Ooh. So if you're not sure about who President Johnson is, it's Lyndon B. Johnson, who later, he became, after this, he became a vice president to President John F. Kennedy, and then uh, assumed president's presidency after JFK's assassination in 1963, making Lyndon B. Johnson our 36th president from 1963 to 1969. Yeah, I'd say Mr. Essis knows people in high places. Yeah, he's popular. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, A.B. Foster wrote to Clifton Carter, telling him about the issues they were having with Henry, 
and ask Clifton to look into it, see if there's anything that he could do. Over the next few months, Henry met with 11 county committees in Texas telling them about all the stuff that Billy's up to and that what he's doing is illegal. Why did he ha- did he have to meet with Eleven, or he's just trying to get the word out like this is going on? And no, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure it was it was likely part probably part of his job, but it was because naturally once he started meeting with these committee members, the information of what was happening started trickling down to all the farmers, right? That were selling their cotton allotments to Billy Soul Enterprises. Right, so it got the word out there, so people started finding out. So, in August of 1961, a man by the name of Oscar Griffin, an editor for the Pecos Independent, which was a newspaper, overheard a conversation among some farmers about Billy Sol Estes and how he was like their saving grace. Because at the time, you know, everybody's struggling, and he comes along and just kind of, he's like an angel in disguise. He's just saving all the farmers. Mm Mm-hmm. The editor, Oscar, began to look more deeply into the story and eventually wrote four articles and published them in the Pecos Independent about the everything that was going on. There's an article in the Texas Observer that describes Oscar meeting with Billy and how he had this lavish home, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, so he meets with him because he's, he's writing these articles. He goes to his home. He has two tennis courts. A perfectly dyed green lawn, royal palm trees that are like imported from overseas, six bedrooms, a 52-foot living room, and an indoor waterfall. Mm-hmm. So he's living it up. And I'd like to know where these people are because I lived in Texas my whole life and I've never come across these kind of people. And this <laughs> is the second story where we've had lavish people. <laughs> Ridiculous. So the article talks about how everyone knew Billy. He was, like, this good Christian man. Everyone knew him, and he knew everybody. He was talked about everywhere he went. You could see him being chauffeured in his Cadillac or catching a flight on one of his private planes. So, word started getting around about Billy's dealings with the farmers involving fertilizer tanks that didn't exist. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay, so one of the four articles written by Oscar notes that 15,000 tanks existed on paper, but were nowhere to be found. That's a lot to try to fib. <laughs> yeah. So Billy found that it was easier to borrow money from finance companies if there was an illusion of a great number of storage tanks. See what's happening here? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right. It gets better. Ultimately, all of this was, like, overlooked... The article that he wrote, the word getting around, it was just overlooked. Until an L.A. finance company, I don't know why I said it like that, until an L.A. <laughs> finance company. L.A. Fine. <laughs> I'm roll with it. An L.A. finance company with more than $4 million worth of tank mortgages came to town looking for information. Of course. Everyone starts running around, talking to people, trying to determine what they actually loan money for, what's going on, who, you know, where are these people. So, in March, the FBI got involved and started asking questions. FBI. That's, that's not good. That's the Federal Bureau of Investigations. Mm-hmm. They do what they want. <laughs> yeah, they do. For our international listeners. Hi, guys. On March 29th... Billy was arrested by the FBI and charged with transportation of bogus tank mortgages across state lines. Pretty serious. He got caught. Doesn't sound serious, but it's pretty serious. Yeah. At that point, everybody kind of started backing off of Billy. People didn't want to be involved with him anymore. They're like, no, I'm just going to chill. You go do your thing. Including his involvement with the U.S. Department of Agriculture and his cotton allotments. Everybody just backed off. On Saturday, June 3rd of 1961, Henry left his home in Bryan, headed to Franklin around 6 a.m. So he was going to go drop his son, Donald, it was his nickname, he was going to go drop his son, Donald, off at his wife's brother's house, L.M. Owens. Okay. And then he was going to head out to the family ranch and take care of some stuff, then go pick him back up and head home. 
his wife's brother, Owen, Owens, he had plans to take Donald with him for his run for the day. He drove a Dr. Pepper truck and had to make a delivery in Bald Prairie. Okay. So he was just going to take Donald with him on his run. As Henry drove from Brian to Franklin, he actually stopped and picked up a, a hitchhiker. Ooh. Okay, so remember, this is 61. Yeah, okay. They did that. <laughs> right. Um, We don't do that. Right. If you are walking on the side of the road, I will I won't pick you walking. up. Yeah, you will keep walking. We will not pick you up. We will not pass go. We will not collect two hundred dollars. But he stopped and picked up a hitchhiker around Wheelock, off of OSR and Highway Forty Two, mm-hmm. which he actually dropped off in town once he once he got to Franklin. So then Henry finally made it to his brother in law's house around seven o'clock. He told Owens that he'd probably be back to pick Donald up around 4, and he had to stop in Hearn to pick up some meat. Yes, I know that that's how you say it. I looked it up. (laughs) (laughs) No question. Are you sure it's not Hearn or Hearny? No, the weatherman is wrong. (laughs) That's not how it's said. I promise you, it's Hearn. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, so when Henry left Franklin, he actually headed towards Bremont so he could pay a friend for some hay he had bailed a couple of weeks before. So he got there around 7.30, his friend's there, and there's actually a couple other people, so he stays and talks with them. So his friend, Joe Pruitt, who he had had the hay bailed from, his other friend, Wiley Grace and Lewis Taylor, they're all sitting there talking. And I can, I can just picture it. I can I picture my grandfather and my uncle both doing it. You're standing at the back of your truck bed, and you're just going to stand around and talk. You're going to talk about that hay. You're going to talk about cows. You're going to talk about who was at the sale the other day. You know, men talk. Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So they stand there. They're talking. Henry stays there about 20 minutes. He wrote, he wrote Joe a check for $36 and left shortly before 8 o'clock. Owens and Donald got back from their soda run about 3 o'clock, back to Franklin. So, uh, Sybil, Henry's wife, called her brother to find out when Donald and Henry would be getting back from Brian. Getting back home to Brian. So, back from Franklin to Brian. Mm-hmm. Owens told his sister that Henry hadn't got back just yet to pick up Donald, so he wasn't really sure what time they'd be getting back. Owens told Sybil that he probably got caught up doing something at the ranch and was running late. Sybil was really worried about Henry because he had actually suffered a heart attack in September of 59. So, I mean, he had recovered pretty nicely from that, but as we know, that's not always the case. So, she was always worried about him. So, a little while goes by, she calls Owens again to see if he'll go out to the ranch and check to make sure Henry's okay. Right after she gets off the phone, she leaves Brian. She's headed to Franklin because she's in, she's frantic and she doesn't know what's going on. Right. So, Owens was pretty familiar with the ranch. He'd been there several times. He'd actually done work out there. He went out there and checked all the places that Henry would go to maintain it, but he wasn't out there. So, Owens thought, well, maybe I just missed him, and he's driven back to the house to get Donald. So, Owens heads back to the house to check and see if he's there. He wasn't there. He wasn't there. He wasn't there. Owens gets his neighbor, Irvin Bennett. And they drove out there again around 6.30 p.m. This time, Owens decides to go to the back of the property, so he takes, like, a back road to go check the back gate. When he got to the gate, he noticed tire tracks. So he goes through the gate into the pasture, and they follow the tire tracks. Did I say that right? Tire tracks? Yeah. (laughs) She said it right. Okay. It didn't sound right in my head, (laughs) So he followed the tracks through the back pasture, and it took him to a small clearing. And in the clearing, he sees Henry's truck. When he gets closer, Henry's lying on the ground next to his truck. Oh, no. So Owen said the first thing he thought was he had had another heart attack. So he runs up to him to help him. Henry's dead. Oh. It was not his heart, but rather five gunshot wounds. Five gunshot wounds. Mm-hmm. Oh, He was lying in the grass next to his truck, bruises on his face, hands and arms, 
and five twenty-two caliber bullet wounds on his left side. And his wow. rifle was laying beside him. There was blood spatter on both sides of the truck as well as the rear of the truck. So there was also a new dent on the back of the truck. Oh. So on the inside of the truck in the seat was Henry's wallet, eyeglasses and case, his watch, a pencil, a half-empty box of raisins, and an unused single-edge razor blade. Like, mm. it's as if he just emptied his pockets in his seat. Okay. Do you have questions? I'm positive. Well, I'm just, I mean, obviously, I'm thinking, why? Okay, so obviously, okay, one, he was murdered. Two, he put up a fight. And then three, why did he empty his pockets? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those are my questions. Mm-hmm. Or, or statements and a question. All will be answered. Answered in time. I'm ready. Bennett, the neighbor, stayed at the scene while Owens drove back to the house where Sybil and Donald were waiting, along with the Robertson County Sheriff Howard Stegall. 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 <laughs> I'm just gonna keep saying it till it sounds right. I'm gonna say Stegall. I think it's Stegall. Let's go with that. So Owens informed them of what he found, and Howard, the sheriff, immediately contacted the Justice of the Peace, Lee Farmer, who also serves as a coroner. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Howard called called Lee, he's like, hurry up, we have a suicide. What? Mm-hmm. That's what the sheriff tells the Justice of the Peace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And why did he say that? I'm glad you asked, Nikki. I'm going to tell you. Okay. <laughs> so by the time they get out to the ranch, it's like 730. So it's starting to get dark. They have to shine the lights out there to see anything. Mm-hmm. Almost immediately, Sheriff Stiegel says, this son of a bitch shot himself, declares it a suicide, and the coroner, <gasps> Lee Farmer, doesn't question it. What? In what world is someone shot five times? Mm-hmm. They have bruises. Mm-hmm. And they automatically say it's a suicide. Mm-hmm. Just an observation. So in this world, <laughs> that's what happened. So there were no pictures taken. No blood samples. Uh, there were no samples taken off of the truck. No fingerprints were collected from the truck or the rifle. No samples from the land. And the truck was taken and detailed, cleaned, and waxed the next day. What? Mm-hmm. Who did that? Who took the truck? Yeah, who took the truck and cleaned and waxed it? I don't know. It just says that the truck was taken, cleaned, and waxed the next day. I mean, honestly, Somewhere. it could have been a family member thinking that they had done everything that they could or whatever, you know? And they Sounds didn't want like his a... wife to see his truck like that. Sounds like a cover-up to me. Does it? Does it? Mm-hmm. It was concluded that Henry Marshall committed suicide by shooting himself five times with a long bolt-action rifle that he had to pump each time to eject oh, a shell. No, 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 no. Manly Jones, and it's Manly, M-A-N-L-E-Y, Manly Jones, was the owner of Callaway Jones Funeral Home in Bryan, and he said that he told Lee that there was no way Henry could have killed himself like that. I mean, hello, somebody's got sense to him. But Lee said he was going to put suicide on the death certificate because Sheriff Stiegel told him to do it. So that's what he did. His death certificate reads, death by gunshot, self-inflicted. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yes, girl. Mm -hmm. So Lee once told a reporter later on that when he stands at the pearly gates... And he's asked about Henry Marshall. He will say it was suicide. No one told him to write it that way. And no one bribed him either. Oh, really? Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, Priceline. I don't know that. I don't know that he's gonna make it. I just feel kid. like we should look into their training. <laughs> this is wrong. <laughs> Nobody shoots themselves. Nobody shoots themselves five times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is your opinion. Mm-hmm. Apparently. <laughs> so funeral service were, services were held Monday, June fifth. Just two days later, at the First Methodist Church in Bryan, his pallbearers were members of his men's Bible class and colleagues from his agricultural department. His body was laid to rest at the Franklin Cemetery later that afternoon. Obviously, Sybil, his wife, did not believe that her husband shot himself. Well, no. Nobody in their right mind's going to believe that. So, she hired an attorney, W.S. Barron. For the record, I'm so over these abbreviated names. I'm over it. Just say your name already. But, uh, anyway, he's a seasoned attorney. Um, by this time that she hires him, he's actually a retired judge in Bryan. Mm-hmm. So, she hired Barron to have the Robertson County authorities change his cause of death. Barron went to Robertson County on three separate occasions to try to have his cause of death changed or at least looked into and Mm -hmm. all three times he was told it could not be done did they say why or they just didn't even give a reason they're just like yeah no sorry yeah they were just like sorry we can't do that wow (laughs) right so like i said in the spring of 1962 billy sol estes was arrested by the if by the fbi on fraud and conspiracy charges regarding his phantom fertilizer tanks his phantom tanks so not too long after his arrest the secretary of agriculture orville l freeman obviously started handling the case because he's the secretary of agriculture right little background on what all that is the secretary of agriculture is responsible for overseeing farming ranching and forestry industries as well as regulating aspects of food quality and safety and nutrition labeling very interesting some people know it as the usda (laughs) anyway orville freeman had a law degree from the university of minnesota law school he was governor of minnesota from 55 to 61 he had actually nominated president john f kennedy in 1960 and was appointed as u.s secretary of agriculture by the president and retained that post by president lbj after the jfk assassination freeman disclosed that henry marshall was the key figure in the Billy Sol Estes scandal. And he would be the only man who could open everything up, right? Right. This was almost a year after Henry died, when all this got brought up again regarding the nature of his death and everything surrounding it. On the morning of May 21st, 1962, the grand jury made the decision to exhume Henry's body for autopsy. That afternoon, Manly Jones, the funeral director, was Mm -hmm. in attendance as the body of Henry Marshall is removed from the Franklin Cemetery and transported to the funeral home in Bryan. So, like I said, sometimes in small areas like this, the Justice of the Peace acts as the coroner. Right. If I'm not mistaken, I think that is still the case in some instances today. Okay. I, I think JPs can pronounce people dead. Right. They call in... Dr. Joseph A. Uhimchik. Oh, yeah. That's right. We're going to call him Dr. Joe. He was called in from Harris County to perform the autopsy. Dr. Joe held a legal degree as well as a medical degree. On May 22, 1962, at 7 a.m., the autopsy begins inside the Bryan Funeral Home with everyone outside waiting. The FBI agents, the Texas Rangers, reporters, and regular bystanders just want to know what the heck's going on. nosy nancy i don't have the time it took a full eight hour day for dr joe to complete his examination he was thorough he knew what he was doing of course everyone's waiting for him to come out and give his opinion so dr joe comes out he gives his opinion he said based on my preliminary autopsy examination i believe that this was not a suicide well (laughs) well thank you dr joe (laughs) Jeez. Dr. Joe discovered that Henry had a 15% carbon monoxide concentration in his body and said that it could have been as high as 30% at the time of death. Henry, okay. yeah. 
Henry had a bruise on his forehead that had been caused by a severe blow to the head. So the next steps would be for the grand jury to overrule the Robertson County Justice of the Peace, Lee Farmer, and change the cause of death, right? Right. So this is a small area. Mm Mm-hmm. They start running around trying to find someone to sit on the jury. Everybody knows everybody. Right. Right. Ultimately, the Robertson County Grand Jury ended up being utility company manager, car dealer, cleaning shop operator, a feed store merchant, two housewives, three farmers, and three agricultural department employees. Okay. Yeah. Did they not have change of venue at that point in time or what? I don't think they were necessarily concerned with it necessarily well i would think that the lawyer on the uh sybil's lawyer mm-hmm. looking into her husband's death mm-hmm. i would think if change of venue was an option they would have looked into it but I don't well know. let's see what all's involved in this case okay let's see what happens <laughs> okay so, there's a lot of talk about this jury being a conflict of interest. Well, yeah. People mentioned that everyone in Franklin's related. Mm-hmm. It was mentioned that the agricultural department employees would be biased. Yes. Someone said that Sheriff Steagles, who was obviously originally in support of the suicide ruling, had a cousin on the jury. <laughs> so, Man. it was decided that there was no conflicts. None of the jury members were related to anyone involved, and none of them had direct personal interest in the case. Okay, then. Right. You say so. Yeah, if they say so. So, all of this is happening while public hearings start regarding the business practices of Billy Solestis, right? Mm-hmm. So, on April 4th, 1962, Billy's chief accountant was found dead. <laughs> Despite a severe bruise on his head, the coroner... Also ruled it a suicide. Oh my god. So also during all this, two of Billy's business associates also died. Those <laughs> are listed those are listed as suspicious circumstances. Well, I would think so. Suspicious. Don't be suspicious. <laughs> In court for his fraud hearing, there are so many things that go back and forth. Billy allegedly bribed some agricultural department employees with a shopping spree at Nima Marcus. There were battles back and forth about political matters, like, oh, so-and-so's involved in this politics, blah, blah, blah. There were apparently calls to the president and the vice president. It goes back and forth, right? Mm -hmm. So on Friday, March 25th, the government filed a motion to basically crush a subpoena issued by the Robertson County Grand Jury requiring agricultural department officials to turn over... A 175-page report on Billy's cotton allotments. The report made reference to Henry Marshall. Mm. On that Saturday, the U.S. Attorney General, Robert Kennedy, announced that they would instead offer 22 pages of excerpts from that report. He stated, in order to be of maximum possible assistance... We're offering to the grand jury verbatim excerpts of each reference to Mr. Marshall, together with the complete context for each reference. Okay. He had an attorney with the Justice Department fly the reduced report from Washington to Dallas, and he hand-delivered it to U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Texas. And they just accept that. They're just like, oh, you don't want to send the whole thing? That's fine. Send what you want. So, a former Texas governor, John Lee Smith, actually wrote Robert Kennedy and asked why so much information was being withheld. Why not just allow the entire 175-page document? Robert's response was really snarky. And, I mean, he was like, you may not be familiar with a grand jury process. Oh. uh, But how a grand jury works is... Like, he was real snarky about it. He said that the complete file was withheld to keep private certain information regarding the Kennedy administration. What? See what, what? I mean? A can of worms. Yeah. So. The Kennedy administration? Jeez. The Kennedys took. <laughs> yeah. So the Kennedys took a very special interest in these cases. Oh, dear. So much so that Robert Kennedy would actually call the judge, John M. Barron, every evening while the grand jury was in session to ask how the case was coming along. Um, he what? even 
Mm-hmm. He even once got a call from John F. Kennedy himself to ask how the case was going. What? Mm-hmm. The judge also heard from LBJ and Cliff Carter several times during the proceedings. This is not normal. Oh, girl. It gets better. Okay. It was believed that their interest in the case was more about how the death was ruled a suicide and not the death itself. Hmm. Everyone had an opinion. An FBI agent out of Waco, Tommy McWilliams, said that his month-long investigation uncovered no link between Henry and Billy and had no reason to believe that he had not committed suicide. No reason to believe he had... Wow. He said he must have shot himself and realized he wasn't dead. Five times? (laughs) He also thinks he tried to kill himself by inhaling carbon monoxide from the exhaust pipe of his truck after he shot himself and realized he wasn't dead. See, I think People who want to say that, I think, could get away with it if the man had shot himself twice, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, they, he tried carbon monoxide and then was like, okay, I can't do that. I'm just going to just get it over with. Shoots himself, messes up or does it the wrong way, mm-hmm. realizes he's still alive and does it again, and then he's dead. Mm-hmm. I can see where you could get people to believe that. But five times? <laughs> no. A Texas Ranger... Clint Peoples had reported to the Texas Department of Public Safety that it would have been absolutely impossible for Henry to have shot himself. Well, yeah. That same Texas Ranger actually spoke with Nolan Griffin, who was a gas station attendant, who said that on the day that Henry died, a stranger stopped in asking for directions to the ranch. Uh, okay. His testimony was at, was later discredited due to... Aww. A long story about they drew a sketch of this man. Apparently, he the, a man comes in. He's like, hey, how do I get to the Marshall Ranch? So Nolan tells him. And then he comes back later and is like, that was the wrong Marshall. But it's okay. I got my deer lease. Oh, no. <laughs> and so he describes the man and, like, the kind of vehicle he drives. So they draw a sketch of him. And apparently, Sheriff Stiegel calls Nolan to Brian Russ's office. Um, Mm -hmm. Brian Russ is at the time an attorney, a Mm well-known attorney in that town, and had him actually sign an affidavit. He didn't know that he was signing an affidavit, but had him sign an affidavit saying that he identified the man in Odessa. They completely discredited his testimony. And it was completely thrown out. And when they asked Nolan why he signed a piece of paper that he didn't know what it was... Nolan's like, well, I knew those guys. They were my friends. I never thought that they would just have me sign something, something like, like that. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, Brian Russ completely denies ever having him sign anything. So, oh, okay. mm-hmm. the FBI director, John Edgar Hoover, sent... <laughs> what? Nothing. These are just, like, big name Prominent drops. names, right? Uh, sent a memo saying that he couldn't understand how Henry could have shot himself five times. Yes. Yes. So, observers brought up the fact that the jury was a conflict of interest when it was discovered that the dominating juror that everyone thought was Sheriff Stiegel's cousin was not his cousin. It was his (laughs) son-in-law. Oh, man. (laughs) Gets better and better. Don't this sound like some small town shit? (laughs) Absolutely. In June 1962, Billy was called to appear before the grand jury in Henry's case. He brought with him John Coffer. Kofer. I don't know how to say that. How's it spelled? It doesn't matter because it's a very popular person after I tell you everything. And then me not saying his name right is going to make me sound so silly. Okay. C-O-F-E-R. What should we go with? C-O-F-E-R. I mean, I would would say Kofer. Kofer. John Kofer was a lawyer that had previously represented Lyndon B. Johnson when... (laughs) When he was accused of ballot ringing when elected to the Senate in 1948, he also represented Mac Wallace when he was charged with the murder of John Kinser. Wow. So a little history on that case, just for people who don't know. Mac Wallace was the press secretary for Lyndon B. Johnson. He shot and killed John Kinser at a golf club in Austin, allegedly for having an affair with his wife. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mac was found guilty and sentenced to 
five years that was suspended. What? So he got, like, probation. For killing somebody. Mm-hmm. He was also involved in one of the conspiracies involving the assassination of JFK. Oh. He was said to allegedly... LBJ asked Mac to hire Jack Ruby to hire Lee Harvey Oswald, but that Mac allegedly is the person that fired the shot that struck Kennedy. Allegedly. Wow. That's like, that's like one of the biggest conspiracy theories. Oh, yeah. I would say anybody has, I mean, that's like one of the most famous conspiracy theories is JFK, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald did not kill JFK or at least he wasn't alone. I have heard in the past month four different theories on the JFK assassination, none of which have Lee Harvey Oswald as the shooter. (laughs) I mean, that just tells you right there. John Kofer was Billy's lawyer. Billy spent almost two hours before the grand jury, but he invoked the Texas version of the Fifth Amendment and refused to answer most questions on grounds he might be incriminating himself. (laughs) Okay. So, I take the Fifth Amendment. Tommy McWilliams, the FBI agent, was also put on the stand to testify, and he was positive Henry had committed suicide. Positive? Positive. Positive. Mm-hmm. Okay. But don't forget about Dr. Joe. Yeah, yeah. Let's get Dr. Joe in there. Dr. Joe testified that if it was a suicide, it's basically the strangest one he'd ever seen out of the 15,000 people he'd examined in his career. Mm-hmm. Yes, Dr. Joe. Yes. Mm-hmm. So on Monday, June 18th at 9.30 p.m., the jury rules. It's a suicide. <gasps> What? (laughs) What? The jury stated that it was inconclusive to substantiate a definite decision at this time or to overrule any decision previously made. Wow. Wow. I don't even know what to say to that. Mm -hmm. Do you have comments, questions, concerns? I mean... We're opening the floor for you. (laughs) Say what you want. I mean, I don't even know what to say. (laughs) It's clear. I mean, this is me, right? And this is me, and this is me hearing the story coming from you and what you've just said and i don't understand how anybody can shoot themselves five times and call it suicide that is my thing i don't understand i don't understand how anybody well, can look F- at that yeah, says it happened yeah. so what happened well so in turn it was ruled that they could find no connection to henry's death and the investigation into billy's cotton allotment scheme so the following year in 1963 billy went to prison for fraud relating to his phantom fertilizer tanks. And he was released in 1971, but he went back to prison later for mail fraud and not paying his taxes. Not not for murder or conspiracy to commit murder. He didn't murder anybody. Henry, su- he, he committed suicide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, That's what they say. Billy was released again in December of 83. Three months later, a man named, named Wilson Tucker deputy director of the cotton division came out and said that back in october of 61 billy told him that something needed to be done about his case or he was going to embarrass the entire kennedy administration and he wanted the investigations into his fraud and stuff to stop and it did billy then stated that his cotton allotment matter had caused the death of one person already (gasps) and asked wilson if he knew henry marshall This conversation occurred six months before the suicide homicide hearings had even started. Oh, dear. So, Wilson said, my my first thing is like, why didn't you say anything about this back then? Why are you waiting until 83? Mm -hmm. So, Wilson said he didn't think nothing of it because Billy was like really nervous about his case and he was like all frantic. His understanding was that Henry had shot himself, so he didn't even know what Billy was rambling on about. Like, it wasn't even a question in his mind when he said, caused the death of a person already. And when he said, do you know Henry Marshall? He wasn't even putting the two of that two parts of that sentence together he thought he was just rambling on right so a reporter had heard about billy being released from prison and had read a story out of abilene that billy had information new information about henry's case so the reporter calls the robertson county attorney john pascal to ask about it yes i know i'm saying that right (laughs) you're you're saying that one right uh so pascal 
told the reporter that if anyone had any information on any murder case, even if it was from 1961, that it was his duty to bring that evidence to the grand jury. So, Tuesday, March 20th, 1984, nearly 23 years after Henry's death, Billy Soestes came once more to Robertson County to voluntarily tell the grand jury his story about the death of Henry Marshall. Billy testified for four hours. That's a long time to tell your story. He would go on to say, he had a lot to tell. Mm -hmm. He would go on to say that Henry Marshall did not kill himself. Oh. Can you imagine the shock? The shock and the horror. (laughs) We had no idea. (laughs) He was murdered for fear he would blow the whistle on Billy's cotton allotment scam. Okay. Billy stated that Henry was murdered by order of the then vice president, Lyndon B. Johnson. Ooh, there it is. There it is. (laughs) Apparently, LBJ was afraid that Henry would link Billy to the frauds through Clifton Carter. Billy said that Carter told Henry to approve 138 cotton allotment transfers as a favor to Billy for campaign contributions. I'm sorry, but this sounds totally plausible. Well, yeah. Okay. Henry... (laughs) told Billy's lawyer, Dennison, during their meeting, that big meeting, that it was illegal. And he couldn't do it. (laughs) I mean, Henry's just, basically, he's just an upstanding citizen. Right. He's just following the law. A few days later, after Henry's meeting with Dennison, Billy meets with LBJ, Clifton Carter, and Mac Wallace... In the backyard of Johnson's home in Washington to discuss what they were going to do about Henry Marshall. Billy said the only reason why he was coming forward now is because all those men are dead. Which makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because he knew if he said anything. Which, I mean, I'm not saying, obviously he's involved. I mean, if he wasn't doing all the stuff that he was doing. Mm -hmm. But, mm. So Billy proceeded to say that Johnson ordered the hit and Mac was the one that carried it out. Lyndon B. Johnson. Mm -hmm. President Lyndon B. Johnson. However. Before his presidency. Right. He was vice president at the time. Because it was before JFK was assassinated. However, Billy's not the most credible person. (laughs) And without any documentation to support his claims, it's basically he said, she said. What? Mm Mm-hmm. So, Billy explained that him, Carter, and Mac met up at Billy's house in Pecos after Henry was killed. Oh. Mac told them that he waited for Henry at his ranch and how he planned to kill him and make it look like he killed himself by carbon monoxide poisoning. So Mac said that there was a brawl. Like, Henry fought, right? Well, yeah. He was able to overpower him, and he put a plastic bag over his head and the exhaust pipe of the truck. So Mac said that he heard a car coming, he panicked. So, he grabbed Henry's rifle and shot him five times. And Billy said he remembers Carter telling Mac, you sure did botch that up. Ooh. Ooh. Well. Ain't hmm. this some stuff? This is. This so, is. So, the grand jury rejected Billy's testimony, saying that- Of course they did! Saying that no one was alive to corroborate his story. <laughs> Oh my god. This Can is... you imagine like if that's true and this fool is real is he's just trying to tell the truth and nobody believes him at this point because he's cried wolf his whole life. Mm-hmm. There's nobody he's waited until everybody's dead to tell the truth and because of that nobody's there to corroborate his story. Mm. So on August 9th 1984 Douglas Cassie Billy's lawyer at the time wrote to the U.S. Department of Justice In the letter, Douglas said that Billy, Lyndon B. Johnson, Mac Wallace, and Clifton Carter had been involved in the murders of Henry Marshall, George Krudelek, Harold Orr, Ike Rogers, Coleman Wade, Josepha Johnson, John Kinser, and President John F. Kennedy. (gasps) Douglas went on to say that Billy was willing to testify that LBJ had ordered all of these hits to Carter, and Carter had Mac carry them out. Ooh. On August 13th, 1985, District Judge Peter Lowry. I know that's right, too. <laughs> Mike Lowry. No, this is P. 
Peter Lowry ruled that the evidence was clear and convincing that the 1961 death of Henry Marshall was in fact a homicide, not Thank a suicide. you. Thank you. The verdict came as a result of Donald, Henry's son, that the cause of death for his father be changed. Wow. So, like, Donald went at it again, and he was like, I need this changed. And there was a district ju- that, judge that actually ruled. Mm. Well, finally. Finally. That's, That's it. That's crazy. That's crazy. This, this... All this time. <laughs> these big names are in little old, little old town. Robertson Texas. County. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So... I, you know, I wasn't going to say this, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> this is not the first time I have heard that Lyndon B. Johnson was responsible for JFK's assassination. Well, no. I mean, that's that's definitely been something that's been discussed. In fact, remember how I said that I've heard four different theories on that, none of which actually include the man that actually killed him, or that is accused of killing him. But in all four of those theories that I've heard, they all involve LBJ. Mm. I don't know about that man. So, so I had, listen, I just recently listened to a podcast. It's called Son of a Hitman. If you get a chance to check it out, check it out. Check ours out first, but check that one out next. (laughs) (laughs) It's based, it's about Charles Harrelson. Everybody knows Woody Harrelson, the actor. It's about his dad. Mm -hmm. Um, His dad was convicted charles harrelson was convicted of killing a a federal judge and was ultimately sent to prison and died in prison but there were there were rumors about him being involved in the jfk assassination mainly Mm. because he says he was oh (laughs) but there's the in that podcast they actually find evidence that links charles harrelson in the army way 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 back when with jack ruby Oh, it all comes together. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I think there was a whole big group of people that were probably involved. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I wouldn't doubt it if it if it led back to LBJ. I mean, he's dead now. Man, that is crazy. Yeah, so there's actually there was actually a point during one of the trials where the prosecutor held up a rifle that was exactly like Henry's rifle and like mm-hmm. held it up to his side and showed how difficult it would be to shoot yourself once, let well, alone yeah. five times. Exactly. And they still didn't. He's the role to the I mean, that's, that's crazy. That is crazy. There are some major things going on behind the scenes on, scenes on that one. And they, I mean, in all honesty, nobody's ever been convicted of Henry's murder. Oh, this poor family. I mean, it took 20-something years before they would actually even rule it a homicide. Right. It's been ruled a suicide all these years. Most unbelievable suicide I've ever heard of in my life. I've never heard of that <laughs> shot five times. I mean, there, there's, there's crazy and there's ridiculous, and that's a little ridiculous. Yeah, it's like saying somebody beat themselves to death. Yeah, you, you physically can't do it. Well, that was good. I told you it was a long one. It's a long one, well, but it was. Well, because it started good. off like, okay, well, this is going to be kind of crazy, you know. This man was killed, and it's a suicide, but. I, and it turned, it opened up a can of worms. Mm-hmm. And the worms yep. just started going off and opening other cans. <laughs> I couldn't stop it. I couldn't make it stop. That's why I told you yesterday, I was like, I'm not done. I'm not ready. Because <laughs> I wasn't ready. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. That's good, though. That's a good story. <sighs> And you think, like, I was starting off at the beginning saying that, you know, he was born in 1909, and you think it's way back. But, man, this this caught up to present day real quick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I almost got to the point where I was like, oh, we're getting into some, some families that may still be around. That's true. <laughs> that, it's like, do I, do I change the name? Nah, we're going to go with it. <laughs> Uh, uh. we'll see what happens oh, I'm just God. gonna run with it so that was a good case I like this case I still have a lot of questions about a bunch of stuff but you know most of them are dead now so it'll never be resolved right officially so right. yeah it's crazy so all right. I'll ask all of our listeners that if you like us give us a star <laughs> or five <laughs> and tell us what you think be honest even relatives be honest 
<laughs> we can handle it. Well, I can handle it. <laughs> like and subscribe. Right. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Sounds good. Here we go. On to the next. Thank you.